If you have your Bibles with you, you can open to Luke chapter 11. We're finishing up the Lord's Prayer this morning. As we continue on uh, next week, the topic will still be prayer as the verses continue, as Jesus continues to teach us about prayer. Luke uh, chapter 11, and uh, as we read this, it's good for us to remember that this prayer is not a prayer he gives us, but he's teaching us how to pray. He's not merely just giving us the content of our prayers, but more the attitude of our prayers. Uh, this prayer is prayed realizing who God is and who man is. You can't really pray like this without realizing the weakness, our dependency on God and who God is, that it's all for his glory. So let's look at this. Uh, verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. God, I, I pray this morning that this request that you lead us not into temptation, that it would be fleshed out in our hearts and minds, that it would be taken serious, that we would realize the gravity and the reason why you want us to pray in this way. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine this scenario. You see a guy at a shopping mall wearing a heavy coat, holding a cigarette with two inches of ash on the end of it, and he's not inhaling. He continues to look over his right shoulder at a guy 50 feet away in a similar heavy coat. It's 90 degrees outside. Now, if you've practiced even the slightest measure of situational awareness, this scene would set alarms off in your mind. Two inches of ash out of a cigarette that a man's not inhaling, heavy coat, 90 degrees outside, another man with a heavy coat, they make eye contact together. Now, I don't know when the last time you were in a shopping mall was, or if you would be aware of that situation. This gentleman who's a Navy SEAL says even the slightest bit of situational awareness, you would recognize this. You would see this as a potential threat. He goes on to write this, because I know the importance of situational awareness during battle, 
I must admit that I get annoyed by the vast number of people who go about their lives without paying even the faintest attention to where they are or what's happening around them. It puts them and the general security of society at risk. These are the very people who most often get victimized or end up on the casualty list. Next time you go into a crowded shopping mall or airport, you'll be amazed to observe how many people seem to be oblivious to their environment, insulated in their own world. As we'll see, airports and malls in particular are two places where you should absolutely be vigilant and aware of your surroundings. Another guy, McKay, writes, Strengthening your situational awareness involves making sure all of your senses are turned on and fully tuned into your environment. It seems like your mind and body automatically do this. Aren't you always seeing, smelling, hearing everything around you all the time? But when someone asks you something like, what's your license plate number? You draw a blank. You quickly realize that it's possible to have looked at something a hundred times without ever really seeing it. In fact, while our brain gives us feeling that we're taking in the whole picture of our environment from moment to moment, this is an illusion. We are really only paying attention to some set of stimuli while ignoring others. He goes on to write, Thus, if you want to strengthen your situational awareness, you have to be truly intentional about it. You have to consciously think and utilize, utilizing and directing all your senses to a greater degree. You have to be intentional. I read about studies they do where they tell a person to watch these two people throwing a basketball back and forth and to just watch the scene. All the while, a guy in a gorilla suit walks behind them, and they never even realize that they, did, they, they never see what's in, the, in their picture, what's the direction their eyes are actually looking. I know this from deer hunting. I videotape my deer hunts. So I'll shoot a deer... And I'll think I know the situation and what happened. And then I go watch the video and I discover what I thought I saw was different than what actually happened. Here I didn't realize that there was three other deer here off to the side. I didn't even know they were there. I didn't realize that my arrow actually hit a twig and deflected a little bit. Situational awareness, being on guard. In war, this is important. You've seen these war movies where they're walking into the crowd and they're looking, the camera's glancing all over to show you, show you where the soldier's looking, what he's paying attention to, what you and I wouldn't even think to pay attention to. My question for you this morning is this. When you woke up this morning... Did you wake up as though you were in peacetime and without any awareness about what's around you? Or did you wake up realizing that you're waking up to a very dangerous environment? 
a very dangerous situation. When your feet hit the ground, are you in war mode? When you step out of your bed? You see, the Bible tells us, Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. As an angel of light, as though it's peacetime, even though he's your enemy. And Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body. A Navy SEAL might go into a mall and want to make sure he stays alive, but Jesus says, don't fear that. I'll tell you what to fear. Fear him that can not only kill the body, but can send your soul and spirit to hell. I tell you, fear him. You see, when Jesus is teaching, lead us not into temptation, he's giving us a mindset of reality that when we're praying rightly, we know what's around us. We know what time it is. We're not in heaven yet. We know the spiritual situation awareness that's around them. Do you remember back in Luke 9, verse 21, when Jesus said, uh, when, it, when Luke tells us, he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day, be raised. Jesus said, here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be killed, and then I'm going to be raised. Peter did not like that. In Matthew's Gospel, he says, Lord, may it never be. He begins to rebuke Christ. Because Peter thinks it's heaven now. Peter doesn't realize the time. He doesn't realize the situation. He doesn't realize that this is the time for Christ to die. Glory is in the future. That's coming. In fact, when Peter sees the transfiguration of Christ and he sees the glory of Elijah and Moses, what does he want to do? He wants to build tents for them so that he can live the glorified life now. And God tells him to shut his mouth and listen to Jesus. Remember what time it is. And then what does he tell the disciples right after that in verse 23? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of my, me and my words of the Son of Man, will he be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels? Here's what Jesus says. If it offends you that I tell you that this is the time in which you deny yourself, this is the time when you're going to be rejected when you're going to, go, going to be persecuted and you may even be killed. 
And if you're not killed, I'm telling you, you need to kill your old nature. You need to declare war on the selfishness of your soul. He's reminding them of the timing of things. 1 Corinthians 15.30, here's how Paul described his life on this earth as a saved Christian. Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, in my pride, which I have in Jesus Christ our Lord, I die every day. Paul is at war every day of his life to die to himself and to be on guard from the enemy. Peter knew this. 1 Peter 5.6 Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time... Okay, now think. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. It's not the proper time now. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray in such a way that He be glorified. That His kingdom come. That every ounce of food or physical need they have comes from the hand of God. Humble yourself. Realize where it comes from. Forgiveness comes from God. And if you're going to have any hope to win any spiritual battles, you better go to God to help you flee from any temptation. So he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you. This is what it looks like humbling yourself casting all of your anxieties on Him. You want to know when you're proud? When you put your anxieties on your own shoulders. Who do you think you are? What strength do you think you have? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Put all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. How does Jesus start out the prayer? Father. And then he says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. It's almost like you're at war. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I'll never forget my biblical masculinity professor saying, men, when your feet hit the ground in the morning, you need to remember there's a lion that wants to devour you. Easy prey are those who don't realize they're in battle. For a soldier to wake up when he's at war and pretend like he's not at war is an easy target for the enemy. So he says, lead us not into temptation. Now let's just... Settle one fact. It seems weird that we would ask God to lead us not into temptation when James tells us that God doesn't tempt anybody. Look at James 1 with me, verse 12. 
James 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully conceived, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers, for every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. James says, don't you dare think that God leads you into temptation, that God tempts you. So to read this as though God's going to do this unless we ask him not to is to misinterpret the text. Robert Stein writes, do not allow us to enter into temptation that could destroy us. This is what it means. Or perhaps to keep us from yielding to temptation. To say, lead us not into temptation is a prayer of a person that knows that temptation comes out of our heart. You see, our desires is where the hook is to grab onto temptation. If your heart's good, it doesn't matter what environment you're in. You're not going to sin. But if your heart has remaining sin in it, and there's temptations out there around you because your heart desires things it ought not, then you better pray for supernatural strength to defeat the temptations in your life. Daryl Box says this, this does not imply that God does sometimes cause us to be tempted. In fact, James assures this that he never does. Rather, Jesus is encouraging an attitude, the attitude that flees from temptation. Christians recognize their weakness and ease with which they give into the temptations of the world. So the idea is, the reason why Jesus says pray this is because we're so weak and we have so much remaining sin that without God's power, without God's help, we will fall. You see, it's an attitude. This whole prayer is an attitude. When you pray, pray that God gets the glory. That His name be made holy, that his name be separate, that his will be done. And when you ask for things, recognize everything comes from him. This is the idea. You're fighting sin. If you fight it in the flesh, you have no hope. So here's the drive of the sermon. We must know what time it is and humbly pray. I wrote humbly there. This is in your notes. Because we realize how weak we are, lead us not into temptation. And the reason why we need to pray that is four reasons. First, there remains evil in our hearts. The reason why we need to pray, lead us not into temptation, is there's remaining evil 
inside us. And then we're going to look at the spiritual enemies we have and how this world is a cursed creation. And we're going to look at how there remains a necessity to live by faith, to fight the fight of faith. You hear me say it over and over and over again, how Paul describes his life as an old man before he dies. I fought the fight of faith. Or he says, I fought the fight. I finished the race. I don't know if you've ever run a long marathon or a long race. That's not easy. Paul says, this is what my life was like as a Christian. We're in the time when we walk by faith and not by sight. And yet we wake up sometimes as though the consummation of the kingdoms already began. We don't have to worry about evil in our own heart. There's no demons or Satan that wants to attack us and everything's just going to roll out how we hope. How crazy is it that we can think in those ways so often? So let's look at this. There remains evil in our hearts. In Ephesians 2, there's three enemies that Paul says. This is a good way to summarize your enemies. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. One of the things that's against you is the course of this world. The system of this world that is anti-God, that is anti-Christ, that is telling you to exalt yourself, you deserve it. The world does not tell you deny yourself, But by this, you deserve it, right? And who's, who's ruling over this? Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's Satan. And his demons, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's the enemy within. See those three enemies? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Let's look at our flesh. We must be humbled as we approach God in prayer because our hearts still have remnants of the fallen nature in us and we are weak apart from Him. You will fall as soon as you think you're pretty good, right? As soon as you start thinking, man, I'm doing good. I don't need God. We all know that's when we fall right? Take heed lest you think, you who think you stand, lest you fall. This is true of us. We are weak and we are vulnerable to temptations. We easily fall to temptations. Easily fall to temptations. Are you on guard? Look at Matthew 26, verse 40. I hope you're not too frustrated with all the verses we've been going through the last couple weeks. But if you remember, the Lord's Prayer is like the outline that needs to be filled out. It's the attitude of the prayer, and then we're filling it out with Scripture, with what God has said about these things. 
Matthew 26, 40. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me for one hour? This is right before Jesus is going to be betrayed. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch. There's a war going on. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's saying, I know, Peter, you want to follow God, but in your pride, you have way too much confidence in yourself. I know your heart wants me. That's what spirit means. It's not the Holy Spirit there. It's his spirit. He goes, I know your spirit's willing to love me, but your flesh is weak as he's about to display when he denies him three times, right? But he doesn't watch. He doesn't pray. He falls asleep. In Luke 21, verse 34, Luke 21, verse 34, Jesus says this to his disciples, but watch yourselves, lest, the, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Watch yourselves so that because of the hardness of life, you don't go to things like alcohol to cover your pain. It's a real temptation, is it not? And that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Watch yourselves. The day's going to come like this. Does it ever startle you when the mouse trap goes off when you're trying to set it? I hate those things. You're sitting there, you think you got it on, you let go and it snaps. And he says, be careful that you don't get wooed away and be comforted by other things. But the, verse 36, he says, verse, or in verse 35, he says, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Are you on the earth? Christ could show up in a moment. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So Jesus is saying the days are going to get more evil. Stay awake and pray so that you will remain, that you won't be sucked away. How many people have we seen sucked away by this world? And Jesus warns them. In 1 John 2, he says, John writes in verse 15, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Don't fall in love with the world or the things of the world. If you do, the love of the Father is not inside you. For all that is in the world is this. Here's how he summarizes the world. The desires of the flesh. That's the cravings of your flesh. How hard is it not to eat something you know you shouldn't eat, but it's right in front of you? 
The cravings of our flesh are difficult. How hard is it not to drink alcohol or click on pornography or spend too much money on the internet to comfort you in your sadness? Don't fall in love with the world for here's what the world is. It's those who just follow the cravings of their heart and the desires of their eyes. This is what it means to fall in love with the world. You covet. You look and you don't have. You're never satisfied. doesn't matter what you get, you want more. You want a new truck, you get a new truck, but then when you get a new truck, you want these running boards on it, and then when you, you want a different grill on it, you get this dress, but now you want these shoes. Be careful you don't fall in love with the world. Because the world just follows whatever its cravings they have. And what it doesn't have, it covets. And then he says, and the desire are, and the pride of life. Here's the other way he describes the world. The pride of life. Those who love the world care what other people think of them. So people want to satisfy their cravings, right? In worldly things. They want to covet what they don't have. And they want to impress and gain significance from their peers. He says, be careful that you don't fall in love with that. That you don't fall into that trap. And the reason why he says, if you do, and that encompasses your life. This is in 1 John, so it's not saying if you've ever done this, but if this is the walk of your life, the practice of your life, you haven't realized that Christ satisfies all these things. You see, the person who's going to inherit the earth, every Christian's going to inherit everything. It's just battle time right now. This is wartime. This is when we walk by faith. This is when we deny ourselves. One day we're going to be in the presence of God. We're going to see Him face to face. And we're going to inherit everything. So right now we can be the people who deny ourselves the things that can never really satisfy anyway. Because here's where He goes. Verse 17 and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Don't love the world. It's passing away. This ship is sailing. It's going to be gone. Satan and the false prophet get thrown into the lake first. Then wicked man gets thrown into the lake of fire to hell, then the kingdom forever in the new heavens and the new earth. But right now we're at war, walking by faith. Titus 3.3 says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, and slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, envy, and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is how we used to live, he says. So, you seek God's help 
that he that you would not be led into temptation because you recognize the remaining sin inside your heart. Second, there remain spiritual enemies. We'll just touch on this quickly. I don't know if you can see this any better place, but in John 17, this is Jesus' prayer right before he's getting ready to go to the cross and die. And he's praying for his disciples and he's praying for you and I. And here's how, here's how he prays. In verse 13 of John 17, he says, but I'm coming to you. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus says, I don't pray that you take them out of this world, but I pray that you keep them from the evil one. He's praying that they hang on to His Word, which He's faithfully delivered to the disciples. If Jesus is worried, I shouldn't say worried, if Jesus wants His disciples to know that He's praying that they be kept from the evil one, then you should think of the evil one when you wake up in the morning. And you should ask God that you're kept from Him. Paul says, finally, Ephesians 6, 10, if you have your Bibles, turn here. This is important to see. Ephesians 6, 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. He doesn't say, finally, be strong, Christians. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. You see, that's why we need to pray that way. You and I fall when we have confidence in our own strength. And then why does He say this? He says, verse 11, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Here's what the Bible says. There's a whole world all around us that we don't even see. And that the, another major battle we have is not mainly against each other, but it's against the sin in our own heart and against this whole world of evil, spiritual world that is led by Satan and his demons. See, when we wake up and we just coast into the shower, we don't even think to give, go to God's Word or pray. We forget. We don't know what time it is. We don't even know where we're at. Our situational awareness falls. But praying like Jesus told us to pray helps us. We're going to go on to point three. The reason why we must pray, lead us not into temptation, is there remains a cursed creation. Life's hard. Many tests and trials 
we are going to face before we die. And if you don't have the spiritual strength given to you by God, you're going to be tempted when those come to say things to yourself like this. God is not good. God does not love me. Look at my circumstances. What's going to keep you from doing that? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You see that? He doesn't promise that He'll take you out of the present difficult circumstance, but He'll give you the strength to defeat the temptation. And the way you defeat it is by being able to endure it, trusting Him by faith. Because the very next verse, He says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idols. You're going to be tempted in the midst of your temptations to go somewhere else other than God. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised those who love him. And then he says this, which is shocking in James 1.2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach and it will be given to him. You see, God's goal for your life in this time is not necessarily easy and comfort. It's deny yourself. It's take up your cross. It's count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds. Why? Because when you trust God in that trial and you come out the other end, supernatural faith is revealed to you that you have from God. And that's what God wants us to have. God is not so concerned to take us out of suffering right now. His main concern is that we learn how to trust Him in it. Faith. Our day's coming when there will be no more tears. When there will be no more death. There will be no more suffering. But right now, even our trials work together for our good. There are opportunities to trust God when the whole world says you're crazy to believe in a God in light of these circumstances. Finally, point four, there remains a necessity to live by faith in Christ. Here's why you have to pray this way. Because the only way we live right now is by faith. Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How do you live, Paul? The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Yeah, but you get stoned and you get persecuted and you get spit on and you don't even have a wife and you're wasting your life. Yeah, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. You see, Paul knew that if God did the greatest 
hardest thing for him, give his only son. He knows God loves him. In fact, what was Paul's call to ministry? Go tell him how much he must suffer for my namesake. We live by faith. These psalms that you see in your notes, they're absolute goldmine. Put these in your pocket. Psalm 141, but my eyes are toward you. That's a faith statement. This is David. But my eyes are towards you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek and take refuge. Leave me not defenseless. He knows he's in a war. My eyes are on you. Don't leave me without strength. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. Or how about Psalm 62, 5? For God alone my soul. Or this is David speaking to his own soul. He says, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. His soul wants to trust in what? Sexual immorality, maybe Bathsheba will make me feel better. But then he, he preaches to his own soul. Only wait for God. Wait in silence, for my hope is in Him. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust Him in our trust Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. We live by faith. David preaches to the people of Israel. Trust in Him at all times. So as you look at this, what seems like a simple prayer, do you see how rich it is? You see when you fill it out, with what God has taught us in His Word, how this prayer is an attitude. When you pray, have this attitude. I have no strength in myself. I'm at war. I'm in a dangerous place. There's danger within my own heart. There's danger outside my heart in the world. And there's a devil that wants to kill me. So Jesus says, pray like this. Lead us not into temptation. And if you don't know what the good news of Christ is, it's a child can understand it. The Bible says we're evil. We're sinful. We rebel against God. But God in His love took action to save man because man couldn't save himself. Sent His only Son. Jesus Christ is the only man who never sinned. And he lived a perfect life so that he could go to a cross and take your place. So that when God looks at him, he can forgive you. Because his life replaces your life as he takes away your sin and gives you his perfect righteousness. And you receive that by faith. And then you live the rest of your life by faith. You wake up every morning remembering where you are what situation you're in and where your strength comes from. Father, I pray that you would be our strength. You would be our hope. That none of us would trust in our own flesh. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.